Here's the new Cold War podcast with Edward Lucas. My father, the Oxford philosopher J.R. Lucas, was renowned for his academic work. But he was also an inspirational and indefatigable campaigner for the cause of freedom and justice in communist countries. This is my tribute to him. Prague is west of Vienna. Even before I could read a map, let alone work out the geopolitics of Europe from one, that phrase was familiar. My father, John Lucas, who died on April 5th, invoked it whenever he heard the phrase Eastern Europe. In those five words, Prague is west of Vienna, he challenged the idea that communist rule was natural. The phrase Eastern Europe implied coherence, destiny and logic in the continent's division. That was misleading. The Iron Curtain and the suffering of the people's captive behind it was the result of colossal historical misfortune, the way the Second World War ended and the brutal exercise of Soviet power thereafter. Eastern Europe might be convenient shorthand for those results, but it was misleading, and he was determined to point that out, always and everywhere. Oxford, the city I grew up in, was a long way from the Iron Curtain, but it was in the front line of the Cold War. My father was one of a few Oxford philosophers, others included the late Roger Scruton and Tony, now Sir Anthony Kenny, who took matters into their own hands by risking their freedom to support persecuted colleagues in the then Czechoslovakia. I vividly remember my father preparing for his clandestine lectures there in 1981. They were held in a hospital boiler room for an academic audience working not as professors or lecturers, but as street sweepers and stokers. They'd been fired for refusing to toe the party line. He took copies of texts that were unavailable there, the New Testament in Greek and Plato's Republic. Prague's Charles University is only a little younger than his own college, Merton, and in the six centuries up to 1948, he noted wryly, anyone who'd said that a clerk of Oxenford would be smuggling Plato to Prague would have aroused incredulous incomprehension. One of the champions of Czech independent philosophy, Julius Tormin, fled to Oxford, but no job could be found for him there. His views on Plato were eccentric, and his approach conspiratorial and combative. Tomin protested. Oxford looked heartless, but my father insisted it would be wrong to avoid the bad publicity and give Tomin a sinecure, because it would mean depriving a better candidate of a livelihood. Amid the ensuing furore, my father, financially hard-pressed at the time, secretly helped pay school fees so that Tomin's son would have a good education. Perhaps my father's landmark academic work was A Treatise on Time and Space, published in 1973. It includes chapters in which two characters, called Red and Blue, converse in a mixture of Russian and Greek. This is to indicate the transcendental derivation of the Lorentz transformations. I still grapple with that, but in my childhood, time and space did seem far more malleable at home than in any textbook. The geography of the so-called Eastern Europe was not distant, and neither was its history. One of my father's closest colleagues was Zbigniew Zbyszek Pelshinsky, the politics tutor at Pembroke College, Oxford, and the university's leading expert on Hegel. I recall, sometime in my childhood, a fragment of conversation from the grown-up's tea table about a recently deceased Pole. Yes, he was my battalion commander in the Warsaw Uprising, said Pelshinsky. The idea that this kindly man had once been a teenager fighting for his life in the Polish capital sewers struck home to me. History in the Lucas household was not something you read about in books. It was something that happened to people you knew.
In the summer of 1989, my parents came to stay with me in Prague, where I was living as the sole British foreign correspondent. Communism was clearly crumbling, but the Czechs had been cowed by two decades of repression since the Soviet-led invasion. We visited my dearest friends, a couple called Andre and Marta Erni. They were British citizens trapped in Czechoslovakia. The authorities had allowed them to come back and care for their elderly parents, but only if they gave up their passports. Marta was a fearless anti-communist, collecting signatures door-to-door for the opposition petition Niekolik Viet, a few sentences. Andre, a freelance musician, was more cautious. His precarious professional life could be crushed at the stroke of a bureaucrat's pen. He explained to my father the chilling influence of the secret police at the theatre where he tuned pianos. I'd always known that my father was a brilliant tutor. Now I saw him in action, giving a masterclass in moral philosophy. The climate of fear, he explained, worked only because people let it frighten them. The time was coming when workers at the theatre and elsewhere would mock the secret police and ignore their strictures. Andre paused, thought, and turned to Marta. Can you bring me that petition? I want to sign it. Thirty years later, that scene still epitomises for me the Czech phrase Pravda Vitezi, truth will triumph. I moved to the Baltic States in the early 90s and my parents visited me again. My father was still on a mission. He'd single-handedly persuaded his Oxford college, Merton, to fund a unique and generous one-year undergraduate scholarship for candidates from the ex-communist world. His Lithuanian choice, Mantus Adamenus, proved to be a natural classicist, blazing a trail through Oxford and then writing his Cambridge doctorate on Nature in Flux, Plato's reception of pre-Socratic cosmological theories. My father was proud of that, but he was even prouder when his protégé abandoned his promising academic career in Britain to enter politics in his homeland. My father wrote a book called An Engagement with Plato's Republic, and he inscribed a copy to Mantus Adamenus, a worker in the cave who returns to see the sun and take fresh stock of the world. Another project was the revival of academic philosophy in Romania, which had been all but extinguished under the savage rule of Nicolae Ceausescu. My father paid repeated trips there, accompanied by my indomitable mother, Mora. Both were well into their seventh decade, a time when academic couples are normally enjoying the fruits of retirement, rather than long days of uncomfortable journeys, mystifying schedules and erratic hospitality. Among my father's last published work was columns written for the Estonian daily Postimirs, lovingly translated by a philosophy PhD, moonlighting as the opinion page editor. But perhaps my father's greatest enthusiasm was Austria-Hungary. He lamented the excellence of Franz Josef's doctors. Had the aged emperor only died a decade or so earlier, the dual monarchy would have reformed and survived, allowing Europe to escape the calamity of the Great War. I once made a glancing remark about the miseries of peasant life in Galicia under Habsburg rule. The best time in their history, my father said crisply. When I thought about it, I had to admit he was right. Which is why five years ago we made a final trip. My father, both generous and frugal to a fault, had never stayed in a five-star hotel. I thought it was high time he did. He'd last visited the Hotel Zache in Vienna in the early 50s, when it was the British military headquarters in the Austrian capital, still then under four-power administration. I let the management of Vienna's snootiest hostelry know that their returning guest was now one of Britain's most distinguished philosophers. 
we were greeted on arrival with an upgrade to a suite and a fusillade of obsequious but enthusiastic greetings. Guten Morgen, Herr Professor Dr. Lukas. We toured the Hofburg and the other great imperial sites. My father showered me with erudite insights on everything from anti-Semitism to the Holy Roman Emperor and the virtues of Otto von Habsburg, whom he fervently believed should have become King of Hungary after the collapse of communism. My father's jacket, as usual, sported an enamel badge featuring a complex heraldic shield held aloft by angels, the emblem of the lands of the Hungarian crown, which I'd bought him in a street market in Budapest many years earlier, and he'd worn ever since. But our ultimate destination was Lviv and the Ukrainian Catholic University, closed with abominable cruelty by the Bolsheviks in 1940 and refounded after independence by Father, now Bishop, Boris Gudziak, a Byzantine Rite Catholic priest with whom I studied in Poland in 1986. My father delivered a sizzling lecture on the moral foundations of the market economy, and in doing so looked more like a man in his mid-fifties, not someone nearing 90. The dinner afterwards featured what could have been an embarrassing denouement. My father had begun an extended disquisition on the subject of fears, real and imagined, in a totalitarian society. And after more than a few minutes, Boris turned to one of the other guests, the former dissident priest Miroslav Marinovich, with the words, You were in the gulag. How does this sound to you? Any embarrassment that my father felt at this very gentle put-down was outweighed by his delight at the perfection of the moment, being corrected by someone speaking with greater authority, experience and insight. Humility in pursuit of truth was what he preached and practised. May he rest in peace and rise in glory. This is Edward Lucas with the New Cold War podcast. You can find more about me, my books and other publications at edwardlucas.com. Or follow me on Twitter at Edward Lucas. This has been a homegrown media production. For more on the new Cold War, please visit edwardlucas.com.